Welcome to the My Day Off podcast. This is Liz and Caroline, and today we're going to be talking about mental health and just our life with it, and also how we've dealt with it, and a few funny stories along the way. We're excited that you're here with us. This is Caroline. And I'm Liz. This is the first time that we've actually met each other. So we're stoked to be with you guys. We are going to be talking a little bit about the lies and truths of depression and anxiety. So to start off, Caroline, what's one of the biggest lies you you feel like you've seen like in social media or in your life that's really like impacted you? I think one of the biggest things that kind of started with my struggle with depression when I was first, I guess if we call it diagnosed, was the lie that you have to have a lot going on or have to have a bad life to have depression. Mm -hmm. And of course there's a lot of things going on in people's lives with whether it be money or a family situation um, that can cause depression. And I want to make sure that I respect that, but Mm -hmm. I struggle with my depression because I had a lot of things that were going really well with my life. And so I felt guilty for not being able to get out of bed in the morning sometimes. And I felt lazy for, not being able to do schoolwork or do mm-hmm. some simple tasks. So I think that that's one of the biggest lies is that um, sometimes these outside circumstances are the only causes of depression. I know that they can really contribute, but they're not the only thing that does cause it. Right. Man, mm-hmm. I totally feel you on that. My like entire family has depression and there's no real rhyme or reason. It's just there. And there's so many constructs that make you think that you should be okay if you have all these things good the depression is like totally unbased but it isn't like it's a biological chemical thing that's messed up right I think that was one of the biggest things for me was the diagnosis of it um just took a weight off of my shoulders it was Mm -hmm. almost like okay this is not my fault it's something that was wrong with my brain the chemicals (laughs) (laughs) and um, Mm -hmm. it's something that I can point to and say it, it's not me. It's it's something else. I don't know if that's a healthy thing <laughs> to say. No, it um, is. But it's almost to be able to be like, okay, that that was my depression. It, hmm. it there wasn't something inherently wrong with my personality. So, how old were you when you were diagnosed? Um, I was a senior in college. So, how old is that? Twenty two. Yeah. Um, I had been. I had struggled with feelings of anxiety and depression for hmm. longer. I just thought it was part of who I was. I thought I was just an anxious person. I thought I had a quirky personality. And I remember being in middle school or high school and feeling really melancholy one day and not really Mm -hmm. knowing what was causing it. And at the time, I don't know if it was just I had extra time on my hands or I was bored. I remember getting on my family computer and Googling like depression quiz uh-huh. and it came up and you go through all these questions. You know, have you lost interest in mm. things you used to be interested in? And I was like, yeah, have <laughs> you felt like this lately? Have you felt like this? And then it said you might have moderate depression. Mm. And I, I didn't tell anybody about it. I, I mean, really? it was just a computer quiz and I just, yeah. just taking it as a young teenager, maybe 13, 14. Um, but I was just looking so desperately for something to explain what I was feeling. Right. 
What about you? When was the first time you started feeling depressed? As you were talking, I was trying to think about it. And I was like, man, I think honestly, mine goes back to like when I was three. Like my parents put me in therapy when I was real young, but I didn't remember being in therapy. I just remember being at the school counselors a lot and just loving to talk to someone. And they would just have me draw pictures. And like, I just thought it was normal to hang with the school counselor. But obviously that's not the typical experience. Yeah. Um, But I think it just more, it's like during massive times of stress that would come out real strongly. And so I think in middle school is like when it was strongest. Like I just remember this time period where I literally couldn't think and I'm a very smart person and I couldn't think through like environmental science, which is like my passion. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, in the world, I remember just like relying on my friends just to like study and have them help me learn things. And I was like, I don't understand this at all. And then there was like a culmination of things where I had a boyfriend at the time and it wasn't like the most positive situation and it just like brought out a lot of trauma and it brought out a lot of junk and it made me really sad and I was like Mm -hmm. straight up like had no motivation didn't want to do much of anything which ironically at the time so this is like my main lie he like called me out on it and said that if I was a believer in Christ that I could not have depression which I was like what like this is insane like Obviously, the world is broken and God's created things to be whole, but it's not like that now because of the fall. And so it's okay to have this. But at the time, I took that to heart. I was like, well, maybe he's right. You know, maybe. And so I kind of like shoved it into a hole. And it wasn't until after we broke up that I really went to therapy and like delved deeper. And I was like, oh, this is a part of me, but it's not me. And it's not some like something that keeps me from Christ or makes me not a Christian. It's just something that's off in my body and a sign of the fall, which is like, I think so often in our Christian faith, people think of these things as like, I don't even know how to explain it. Just something you shouldn't have to deal with. Like if you, Jesus is like the answer to everything, which I totally agree. But we also have to look at what's true. You know, like we have these ideas of like what it should be. But we're not living in a world where those things are as they should be. God's bringing that restoration. And it's not always there. Like, I think we even talked a little bit briefly before this about prayer and how some people can pray and their depression is just like magic, magically relieved. And there's others who just like work with it day by day with God. And literally it's a thorn in their side, just like Paul had. And it's, it's their daily struggle. And it's that idea of like, man, God gives you this daily allotment to help you through the day. And some days suck, but that's where your community comes in and where your community can actually be there with you and lift you up when you can't be. They're the body of Christ helping you through it. So I would say that's when I got diagnosed was probably in like college age. And then it's only as an older adult, older, I'm only 30, but as an older adult, like seeing it come to fruition and having a husband who's like very understanding of like what I'm going through. Right. And how things are. And um, like even to the point when we were dating, it was hilarious. This is your funny story. I had a moment where I was like thoroughly freaking out because I did not know if we should continue dating just because there was a distance and who I thought he was and who he was showing himself to be to my friends. So we'd go for this walk and I'm just like freaking out in my head, like total anxiety attack, like freaking out, depression, anxiety. It's just like full force. And um, (laughs) we walk through this bamboo forest and we're just like looking looking at the water. And Tyler is just like talking to me, being sweet and kind. And I'm like freaking out. So I just hug this piece of bamboo. And I'm sitting here hugging a piece of bamboo. 
And my sweet husband's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm holding onto this bamboo because I need to feel grounded. And he's like, okay, why do you need to feel grounded? I was like, I am freaking out. And this piece of bamboo is attached to the ground and I'm gonna hold onto this bamboo. And he's like, well, I'm attached to the ground. Like, can I hold on to you? And I was like, nope. And so like, I'm sitting there like, just having this moment that at the time was so bad, but he looks back and literally got me a piece of bamboo because this moment was so ridiculous. He had to pry my fingers off of the bamboo to give me a hug and to hold me because I was like thoroughly freaking out. But it's like, it was in that moment of just like ridiculousness of like holding onto a piece of bamboo that was like, okay, like this panic and anxiety is so real, but the response of love was what I needed. And he Mm -hmm. just totally pulled me out of it. And so we have so many stories where I like did crazy stuff and he just loved me through it and like helped me out of my depression Yeah, by not creating a wall, but like a door. Yeah. Having a support system and somebody who understands you, especially somebody like a husband or a family member is so important just to have somebody who really understands what your brain might be doing at that time. You said so much I want to ask about and unpack, especially what really struck me was you being in counseling at the age of three and wanting to draw pictures and just having Mm -hmm. somebody nice to talk to. Um, At that early age, did you have any memories of anxiety or did it not come out until, like you mentioned, in middle school being anxious? It was more so, I think it was more, I just felt different. And I didn't understand why I was different or why I was like oversensitive and felt more things than other people did. Cause my sister was like that, like extroverted kid who like loved everyone was with everyone, never got overstimulated. And I was like locking my door. Cause I was like, I need to be away from the noise. And so I never really understood until I got older. And even now it continues to unpack. There's so many ways that I just have always wanted to know why I work the way I work. And I've mm-hmm. like followed those strings kind of to where it started to become to unravel. And the truth of it is like I struggle with fibromyalgia. And so that's like mm. a symptom of that is anxiety and depression. And a lot of that's tied to our gut. So the things that we eat, but it is, it's all a symptom of the brokenness of where we are. Mm-hmm. And when were you diagnosed with fibromyalgia? May. <laughs> just recently yeah, very recently so hard yeah it's an adventure mm-hmm. but yeah depression's like one of the main ones but it's all it's interesting it's really I'm glad that we're talking about this because I feel like most people at some point struggle with depression and not necessarily from like situational but just like chemically and they just like push through it but really you can't fix it by pushing through it you can only fix it with help or with medicine to like kick you out of that sort of a depression that's not based off of a situation. Right. Uh, do you find that you have triggers to your anxiety or depression or does it just pop up out of nowhere sometimes? Mm, both. Both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Um, I, I don't know. I think I, one of the times that I realized where I did have depression was when there's truly a time where everything was going right. And I still had that pit mm. of a feeling um, that something was going wrong. And then I realized, I was like, wait, I I had been looking for a job and I'd found one. I had, you know, planned to move to a new city. Everything in my life was exciting. And I had supportive parents and a supportive significant other at that time, supportive friends. Yeah. And I still felt it. And so yeah. I was, that was when I realized, okay, there's there's got to be some kind of, chemical imbalance here. 
Um, but as far as triggers, I know anxiety for me is triggered a lot of times with logistics, like planning things. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have to be somewhere at a certain time and then there's another conflict with it, or I'm dealing with two different things that I have to get done around the same amount of time, um, people expecting um, an unreasonable amount of things or, or responses at work. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of my anxiety also comes from the gap between my expectations of where I want to be in my life right now and the reality. Yeah. Um, whether that be petty things like the girls I see on Instagram with a perfectly lit candle and a clean living room and perfectly mm. decorated space, cookies on the table, fresh flowers, and me in my absolutely messy space. Or if it's, you know, more of a spiritual place where, mm. where I am spiritually versus where I hope to be spiritually where I am in my friendships or where I hope to be. So there's this, this gap that often causes a little bit of anxiety. What part about that causes the anxiety though? Um, feeling like I'm not doing enough to close that gap and mm. feeling that I'm behind. And I think some of it is not explainable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think social media honestly plays a, a big role in that seeing people traveling, thinking, why can't, why haven't I planned to do that? Hmm. Am I throwing away my life by working every day? Um, Do I need to be doing these things? Um, So I think one mantra that I came across, oddly enough, on Instagram, where we're talking about, (laughs) you know, where all the evil is coming from. um, Somebody posted a, a quote, and it said, you are where you are meant to be. And that almost brought tears to my eyes, because I had just been feeling... Like I wasn't doing my life right at the time. Mm -hmm. I felt like I needed to be doing something else, something different. I wasn't living my life the way that I was supposed to. And just reading that helped me remind myself, like you are where you're meant to be. You're here for a reason. Um, If God wanted you to move, if God wanted you to change jobs, you would feel that nudge. Mm. Um, You'd be going in that direction. So I think that helped. Just out of curiosity, do you know your Enneagram? Um, I am a nine, but I am not super educated with Enneagram. (laughs) I'm just curious. Well, it sounds like I'm slightly older than you, so I've been through a little bit of like... I'm a little bit farther on the journey of like exploring through those things. Um, And I really do feel like there's like a a spot, like I think I hit it around like 25 and even now, like 25 to 30, it was just like a crescendo, but it was like figuring out like the pleasing attitude, like how we're trying to, trying to please others and even please ourselves rather than just like rest in the journey that God's got us on. And it's like a slow little boat ride. Um, But I do... I mean, I feel you. Social media often makes you feel like I'm like way behind or like things aren't perfect and they should be or they should just be different. But right. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, guys, we all love Henry and his podcast, My Day Off. So why don't we put our ears where our money is? No, our money where our ears are. (laughs) Let's try this again. (laughs) Five seconds. Send five dollars to dollar.
Palestine, My Day Off podcast. So we were talking about social media and comparison. And I realized the other day how much I do compare myself to people on social media. When I saw one of my really good friends, her girls were dressed to the nines and just looked amazing. I was like, man, I used to dress my kids like that. And then I realized, I was like, I would never have thought anything about my dinosaur shirt wearing child, not dressed up like a J. Crew model, unless I'd seen this post. And it just, it was a right. good heart check to be like, okay, probably need to pause on this and just like take a step back and realize that life is happening outside of this and that it ultimately isn't about social media and how it like affects our brains. So we just need, actually, there's a study, totally off topic, but kind of related that I loved that talked about people and women specifically who went out in nature for like three days, totally detox were in nature. And they felt a hundred times, that's obviously not the specific number, but they felt it's a scientific it's report very hundred scientific. times better, a <laughs> hundred times better about themselves out in nature because they were out there comparing, oh, I'm going to kill Henry. <laughs> Henry is here, but we're not letting him speak on this podcast. <laughs> yes. For obvious reasons, as he laughs hysterically with his hands over his face. Um, but ladies out in nature <laughs> feel more connected to the, their natural beauty and don't feel any comparison. They just really enjoy who they are and they don't mm. feel as depressed when they've been connected outside and to what God's created. And so just things like that line up and make me realize like, okay, like life is meant to be more simple. It's meant to be more pulled back. And I think one of the main ways that this has come to fruition is by therapy. Therapy has helped me to take a step back and realize like, okay, like what is true? Like we talked a little bit about the lies, like what is a lie about depression? What's a lie in my life that I'm believing what is actually true? Right. Have you used therapy? Have you used that to help you on your journey? Yes, I have. I'm recently have gone back to therapy recently. Mm -hmm. I've gone back um, in college when I first was not feeling so great. I saw a counselor um, she was great. She was a student. So they had you know, psychology and um, counseling students, uh, grad students that would be there at the counseling services. And sometimes I felt like it wasn't as helpful. Um, mm -hmm. I think maybe she should have been a little bit more worried about some of the things that I was talking about. Um, but there's really a most, only so much you can do. Um, so I think I didn't know if therapy could help mm -hmm. again. So recently I started going back to a therapist and the first time I sat down on her couch, I just felt my whole body relax mm -hmm. and I almost wept right away. Just, I just needed to get a lot off of my chest and it's really helped just to have it all come out. And she told me, she said that sometimes we just need to sit in Shiva together, which is, which oddly enough, it's like a, a Jewish term and it's you know, when somebody dies you sit together, mm -hmm. um, you sit in community and you mourn together and listen to each other. And, um, she said that sometimes that's what our, our sessions could be like. And I love that. And sorry if you're Jewish and listening, I did not explain that well, but <laughs> that's just from my understanding of, of what it is. So I, I've really take that to heart. And if I have somebody else that's, you know, mourning or in a situation, I, I think back to what my therapist said and just 
maybe I just need to be with that person. Mm-hmm. That was a long tangent. Yes, I have gone to therapy. <laughs> it has been helpful. No, that was perfect. Um, yeah, so I, I'm liking it a lot. Um, I honestly expected to go in and I wanted her to dig up something from my past that has affected me and I haven't gotten anything yet. I'm like, there has to have been something that happened, but I like, there's nothing that I can really dig up that has affected me. Like my relationship with my father has been very good my whole life. (laughs) I was where you're going with this. (laughs) My relationship with my mother has been excellent, you know? (laughs) So I know a lot of, I'm just expecting to find something. So every episode, I mean, (laughs) every episode of my therapy, every time I go to therapy, (laughs) I'm trying to um, try to find something. But honestly, Mm -hmm. we just end up talking about uh, my day or what I'm anxious about, what's going on. Henry's taking a picture of me, which is making me uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Henry Gola is an interesting man. He is. Well, you said something a minute ago. I don't want to jump around, but you say so many important things all, you know, all together. And I want to make sure that we address some of them. And one thing you were talking about with social media was you saw the picture of this perfectly dressed little kids and you were thinking of your boys. I just want to say me and Liz first met over social media. Mm-hmm. Henry introduced us because we both have a passion for discussing mental health and he introduced us via DM. So he just started a DM group on Instagram and included both of us. And we were talking. Of course, I followed her. So I didn't know her except for her pictures. And the way that you think, you know, you're portraying your family, you have the sweetest little family, cutest two little boys. And, you know, you're talking about seeing that family of the cute little J. Crew dresses and everything and comparing it. Um, but you never really hear, you know, what somebody else thinks of your post, which is mm. what a beautiful family, what yeah. a, what a beautiful mm. home. Um, so it, it is that comparison game, but that's yeah. what I had to say about that. Thank you. No, <laughs> that was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Social media is an interesting beast. It gives us so many good things like that quote you said, but then there's also like the comparison. And so I think like, just like checking like a thermometer, like see how you're doing is helpful, like with depression to be like, okay, this is really triggering my anxiety and my depression. And I like what you said about like in therapy, looking for something to be dug up that you need healing or to deal with. And I think that is the heart of anxiety and depression that a lot of people don't understand is that a lot of times it's baseless. Mm -hmm. It's not based off of a big traumatic event. Like I started therapy at three, they thought there was some crazy thing happened, but no one did anything to me. It was just literally a switch in my brain, you know? And so I think in those situations where it's not from some random traumatic event, it's just your brain literally like changed something. There is no source. And my therapist is amazing. I love her and I look forward to seeing her often. And <clears throat> we talked a lot about how true anxiety is feeling like something's wrong when nothing is. And mm. realizing that was like so impactful to, to me because I had, I'd be like drawing out sketching, like doing like a bubble map back from like middle school, being like, what's wrong? And like do all these different directions. So you did a bubble map? Yeah. When Which, you felt anxious, did that help? 
It actually did help. So I nerd out on mental health stuff. And so for a while I did more of stuff, more of things on my own discovery on my own and the way of just like researching. Cause I'm also a scientist by background. And there's this lady called Dr. Caroline leaf and she had a book called the dirty dozen. And what it would do is it would just look at these main points of your life that you probably have misconceptions about and to really look mm-hmm. at it. And the way that she wanted to help you through it being like a neuroscientist first and a Christian second. Like she became a believer after studying this massive amount of knowledge about how your brain works. And what she realized is like, we have these pathways in our brain. And the more that we think those ways, the stronger it gets. The more you have like a negative thought, the stronger you go in that direction versus another direction. So the verse renewing your mind is a literal thing. Like we need to renew our mind. Sorry, my voice is going out. We need to renew our mind by recreating a new thought. And the more that you think that new thought and renew in that direction, the more that becomes a paved road and the old bad thought becomes a dirty road that your brain doesn't naturally go down. So it really helps you look at the way your brain thinks and the way that brain works, but also what is true. So you have your bubble map that would talk about like family. And then you could say like, my family is good, but I feel like a black sheep. Why do I feel like a black sheep? Am I actually a black sheep? No, I'm not. What's true? And so it's like following that lie line to see what you actually think about yourself. And at the end, like, what does God say about you? What is actually true? And that's been really helpful, like in those big chunky things like family, church, relational, but it's also really helpful just in the day to day. Like if you're freaking out, like what is true? This is going to pass, you know, and just to look at it that way. Do you have a hard time creating those new paths and those new roads? When you explained it, it sounded so easy to me, but then I realized (laughs) this is really hard to do that. It is. It's definitely something you have to be intentional, but I'm very visual. So I think having a visual helped me to realize if I just think about this going in any direction, it seems possible because each each time I go that direction, it is more possible, but it makes you realize that renewing your brain is a workout and it's not just going to mm. happen. So it, it made me be more intentional, but it was not easy. It definitely right. took years of therapy and lots of prayer and also healthy community to help reinforce those thoughts and to reinforce the things that I was thinking <clears throat> and where I was going with it. Right. I have a bit of my own anxiety workout that I do when I'm feeling overwhelmed with an episode of anxiety. Um, I, I don't know if it's like a grounding exercise or if that's like some you know mental health lingo, but I go through all of the different things that are going on that could possibly be causing mm. that anxiety. And I go through, okay, what's that worst possible outcome and would yeah. that be so bad? Mm. Um, and I know the anxious mind can create some pretty terrible <laughs> uh, yeah, worst possible yes. outcomes. Yes. Of course, I've been there. So, I mean, is it, I go through, I I remember distinctly just sitting on my bed, having this feeling and not knowing what it is. So I thought, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm going to organize my thoughts. Was it that weird interaction that I had that I keep replaying in my mind thinking I could have said something that made more sense there? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it that project at work that's hanging over my head? Is it that my room is messy? Is it this, that this thing that I have to pack for that I haven't packed for yet? Is that, you know, I run through, I'm like, okay, what's, what's the worst possible thing that could happen about that weird interaction that that person thinks that was weird. They probably didn't think that I'm probably just overthinking. That's probably easy to say to yourself, but it's just the, my mind process. Um, you know, and I should just probably start getting packed for this trip and mm-hmm. I kind of walk through all of these things and 
just unpack my thoughts. And I find that that helps because sometimes I feel like the anxiety is just a ton of things grouped together and the overwhelming nature of having a lot going on. And it helped me to kind of like put a name to all these different things that it could be and grounding those Mm -hmm. and having tactical ways to handle all of those situations. Well, I also like the way that you described that. You talked about going on a trip and then unpacking, but that is kind of what you're Mm. doing with your brain is like you're unpacking these thoughts until you have a lighter suitcase and you can see what you have and choose what to put back in Right. because you look through it. And I think a lot of, even biblically, they talk about like confessing and this idea of like sharing things with other people, because when you name it, you take away any like negative power attached to it. And God's like truth is able to like slam through it. And a lot of times we have so many things manifest in us and get so like, like down and heavy is when we don't share it. Mm. And so I think one of the most liberating things for anxiety, for depression is just sharing it. And like through therapy, that's made possible, but also through your good friends, which is so helpful. But something you were saying too, like when you're talking about walking through it, that's like, I think that's, you're able to do that when you're in a moderately anxious or depressed spot. And then like for like someone who's listening, who feels like they can't do that, maybe that's when you need to look at, going to not only a therapist, but maybe a psychiatrist and talking oh, to yeah. them. Because I know for me, like I was able to do these things, but I still felt so anxious. And I was like, what the heck? Like I know on paper, like I shouldn't feel these things. And for the longest time, I didn't want to take in anything. Like I didn't want side effects. I didn't want anything to happen. But my counselor put it really well. She's like, for diabetes, you take insulin. For asthma, you take an inhaler. Like for anxiety, it's the same way. Like you take something to regulate your mind so that you can think logically. And I was such a chronic overthinker. And then when I started taking my medicine, suddenly the world just like opened up and I didn't overthink things. Like I was Mm. able to like let something go or if I had an argument with a friend, like to think about it and then go back and apologize versus like begging at their feet, you know, like being like, I'm so sorry, I'll do anything. And now it's more like, okay, like I see what I did and I'm sorry. And you leave it at that. And that's such a healthier relationship than you trying to like scramble and fix everything and realizing that everything is broken in the world, but it's not devastating. There's hope, you know? And I think sometimes medicine gives you that hope to where then you can do what we're talking about and you can like step back and look at what's actually happening. Like you need that like space. Right. I totally get that. I have had a situation pretty recently where I was not able to unpack everything that was Mm. going on. I was having a panic attack at work, which is embarrassing. Um, It was a quiet, you know, a lot of people, you say panic attack and you think of something that may be like loud and flailing and heavy breathing. But I was sitting very still and I had just like a crushing chest feeling Mm. and I couldn't catch my breath. And I couldn't pinpoint what it was. Yeah. I had nothing to, like we were talking about, I had nothing to unpack. There's something stressful happening at work, but, you know, stressful things happen at work all the time. So why was it this time that I was having a panic mm. attack? And this is where the funny slash sad thing happens. I had this overwhelming urge to get under my desk at work. <laughs> did you do it? And yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I, li- I have a cube, so it's not like people could you know, not see me walking by. I wish I had a closer office, but that's another story. Um, (laughs) So I thought if I take a pin down there and somebody walks by, I can stand up and be like, oh, here it is. I was looking for this. (laughs) It's under here. (laughs) So I just took my pin and I sat under my desk just for maybe 10 seconds. Mm. 
and had a couple of deep breaths. Nobody walked by and just sat right back up and continued. And I texted a couple, like two close friends. I said, hey, just want to let you know I'm having a panic attack <laughs> at work. They're both like, okay. Uh, just, and they just kept talking to me and, and that mm-hmm. helped in the minute. And sometimes, like you were saying, it's that community just letting somebody else know, hey, I'm not doing okay right now. Yeah. And it's hard to find friends that you can say that to. Right. It really is. And honestly, God can provide those friends. I know a lot of people like worry. Well, even a lot of Henry's podcasts have talked about like the prayer behind finding those people and God just like bringing those people. And sometimes out of desperation being like, hey, like, will you be my friend? Like one of my dearest friends right now, I actually met at a coffee shop and she is amazing. And our friend, our kids were having a fight and they did really well with it. And she like parented like a boss through it and just was amazing. And like through it, so much goodness has come, but it was such like a random thing, but it was such an answered prayer. Like God just knew my heart and knew her heart and like brought us together and through it, so many healthy relationships had just developed to like make me go even deeper with my anxiety, depression, to realize like who I am in Christ with these things and that they don't find me, but also like, as I struggle with them, like just that overwhelming hope, like hope has been on my heart a lot lately. Cause I think a lot of times when you, when you think anxiety and depression, you think of a storm and it is kind of like a storm, but there's always light that pours in after the storm and realizing that it is, it can be cyclical and like realizing that there's brevity in those depressive episodes and like realizing it's not going to last forever. I think, I think sometimes a big lie with anxiety and depression is that it is going to last forever, but the truth is that it's not. And when you realize that it won't, like that just helps you like breathe, which is wonderful. Right. And also I love talking about it with people because we always find something to laugh about. Yes. About it together. (laughs) Um, you don't have to suffer alone. Um, Mm. and it's, it's hard, like I said, to find somebody to talk to about it, um, which is why I definitely encourage finding someone, maybe a therapist to talk to, um, but maybe just reaching out. And I've mentioned it to a close friend that I had, and I was almost scared to bring it up, um, even though we had been friends for over a decade. And I mentioned it, and she mentioned that she had been feeling depressed too. Aww. And she had also been taking medicine for that. And mm. it was one of those moments where I thought if I had not mentioned that we would not have been able to confide in each other and support each other in this time. Um, I think finding community is so important um, in mental health. So what would you say are your like coping skills? Like on a day where you're feeling overwhelmed or like leaning in that direction, like how do you deal with it? What are the things that you do? Uh, I love music. I love listening to music. Sometimes it's hard because I gravitate towards slow and sad songs. I have a lot of emotion. <laughs> so it's sometimes if you're, you know, you're sad and you want to lean into it a little bit more. Um, sometimes I accidentally unintentionally do that. I think music has always found a way into my heart when I've been struggling, even mm-hmm. if it's something that is, you know, a sad song when I'm sad, it helps sit with me in that sadness. A happy mm-hmm. song when I'm sad, it helps lift me up out of that. When I was a junior in college, I had been feeling depressed, didn't have a name to it yet, hadn't gone to see anybody. And I had a really close relationship with my youth minister from high school. And we had been talking and I confided in him that I had been feeling upset and stressed and, and thought I was depressed Hmm. he emailed me a James Taylor song every day. 
I guess he loved James Taylor. He knew I liked James Taylor. So every day I got an email in my inbox from my youth minister with a James Taylor song and a little blurb on why he liked the song. And I loved it every day. I would look forward to getting that message in my inbox. And I love unpacking the lyrics of a song and the way it sounds and the way it makes me feel. And um, just kind of relying on that constant communication every day. And then I could add another song to my Spotify playlist and listen listen to it, listen for what he saw in the song and decide what I thought. And then I would reply to it. And I think that that really helps. So I do listen to James Taylor when I'm stressed and am thankful for that spiritual counselor in my life who used James Taylor to get (laughs) through to me and my anxiety and depression. Uh, Do you have any songs that you listen to um, to get out of a funk or anything like that? Honestly, I just put on oldies and like I'll dance with my kids. Like if we're just having like a rough go, we like will dance like idiots and it's hilarious like one of the main things we do in our house is shaking our booties so i'll tell the boys i'm like shake your booties and then like sure enough they both like start shaking their butts and it's like there's just little triggers but it's amazing how visceral those things are like they need to be tangible like the fact that your counselor had or not your counselor well yeah your spiritual counselor he had you look at the elements and to feel it and to be a part of it because engaging outside of ourselves help us to break out of that moment so for us it's like in our house it's dancing or for me even just getting out of a space if I'm feeling down makes me feel renewed so we'll go on a lot of coffee trips so like my son will literally say mama I'm sad can we go to a coffee shop and so that's that's really funny that's (laughs) like what a 29 year old would say to their friend (laughs) (laughs) so we go to coffee shops all the time um which is probably one of my favorite things to do because you're around people and they're going through different things but you can also kind of just like you could help someone if you want to you could have a conversation with someone if you wanted to it just gives you the freedom to like reach out but also to stay small if you're feeling too overwhelmed to do stuff so it's giving yourself that grace to know like a safe spot but also a place that you can like hide safely if that makes any sense Um, so like coffee is my go-to. I don't even drink all the coffee. I'll drink like literally like a fourth of the cup, but it's more about that experience. The ritual. Going out. Exactly. I love the ritual of coffee. Yes. It's so good. That's great. One thing I've been meaning to ask you, uh, because you do have two kids, Mm -hmm. how is your experience with depression and anxiety as a mom? Hmm. Do you feel like it's different from that of an experience before you had kids? Well, I had postpartum depression with my first, um, which was crazy because I didn't realize it. I mean, I always dealt with depression, but like I didn't realize how intense it was. I had to like some pretty bad moments. But the other side of that is like, God so intensely protected my child. Like I just have moments where I'm like literally like losing it. And someone would come out of nowhere and like be like, can I hold your kid? And I'm like, sure. And it, this would happen all the time. And I just knew that God like protected and took care of him. But it looked like me sleeping in every day. And like literally I would wake up, nurse my son and go back to sleep while he like ran around the house. And I'd wake up to like, ah, ah, which means like, mommy, I'm about to jump, like come find me. So I'd like go running through the house trying to find my kid before he jumped. And That's I was so scary. Like, oh, it was 
terrifying. And I was like, dear Lord, like what, what is happening? Um, so he, yeah, it was an adventure with him and the postpartum depression. And it got to the point where like, I realized like how bad it was. I had so many good coping mechanisms because I'd had depression before that I could make it through. Like I created like a system. I talked to people, even our dear friend, Henry, he came and saved me a few times. Like, just like people were there and it made such a difference to have that community. Um, and then, I got to a point, though, where I had two massive intrusive thoughts, which were terrifying. Like, I was in his room, and I suddenly, which is it's obviously not of me, like, felt like something evil was, like, telling me. Like, it just had this, like, creepy, like, imagine the creepy, freaky voice, like, telling me to, like, hurt my son. I was like, F this, I'm done. Like, I, like, grabbed my son, and I'm, like, literally running through the house to get out, because, like, that's my nature, is just to get away from the thing that's bad. And as I'm walking by the crock pot, like, something is telling me to harm him by putting him in there, and I was like, no. And I'm, like, I'm, like, protecting my kid, like, we go outside, and I just sob hysterically. And then, like, the day prior, I had my, um, dog had looked at me and looked sad and I was like I wonder why she looks so sad and this like creepy voice again like said to me like because you're gonna die soon or like gonna kill yourself soon I was like no I'm not like what the heck so like it is like depression can have that demonic like presence you know where it's and it's just trying to attack you it's not of you it's trying to attack and get in but like when I expressed that and brought that to the church we prayed over our house and like released whatever crazy crap that was and it made such a difference um we also moved I was glad to get out of that house I was like maybe it's attached to the house um but it is like there's such a this is such a caveat but there's such a war over our children and it's like literally praying over them for protection over them and just to keep them safe because things it's a war for people's hearts and um but so in that I went back to counseling and really dove into it and realized I needed to get on Wellbutrin on medicine to help with the depression and it just was that thing that snapped me out of it and helped me to wake up helped me to do things and just to be more with it but I think depression is a lot more intense in motherhood because there is like the hormone imbalance which causes the postpartum depression um there's also the isolation because kids have such crazy schedules that's hard to connect and be with people and so you become isolated and isolation just like digs into your depression like deeper and deeper and there's so much anxiety with protecting your children so it does kind of become like a hot box for all of those things. But I think you just have to lean into those coping mechanisms we were talking about where it's like, you need to reach out to your community. You need to see and talk to someone and also just be aware of your needs. Like, do you need more time to rest? Like a lot of Mm. depression also comes from lack of sleep. Like, are you sleeping enough? Are you getting that rest that you need? And if not, like, can your partner help you? Can your friends take the kids for a night so that you can actually sleep through the night? There's so many ways that you can do things and people want to help you. You just have to reach out. So I think a lot of depression, anxiety, especially in motherhood, has to do with communication. And also as a friend, just realizing like it's harder than they're letting on and to ask very pointed questions about like, hey, are you feeling sad lately? Or like, you feeling joyful? Like, what's going on? Like, what, are you are you feeling satisfied in where you are? Because it is, it's a hard change and switch all around. Right. That's like in my worst days of depression when I can hardly take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about someone like you who has kids to yeah. also take care of these other lives. 
And in my head, I'm thinking, would that like give me the kickstart or would I just be completely rendered Mm. useless? Um, So, wow. And my heart really goes out to moms, dads, anyone taking care of children who's feeling depression. That's really hard. Yeah. You just learn to give yourself a lot of grace. Right. I always wanted to be very healthy with my kids, but my son definitely had Oreos for breakfast a lot. <laughs> and like, that's how we made it through. What a fun mom. <laughs> my mom's so fun. <laughs> she, she lets me eat Oreos for breakfast. Yeah. He loved it. He yeah. still would love to eat Oreos. We don't do that quite as much. <laughs> so to wrap up, what would be your last thing that you would love to share with everyone? Just like a hopeful little nugget. Um, I would say don't be so hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. Have mercy on yourself. Have mercy on your past self. I don't know if anyone else has those thoughts where you re- mm. replay that embarrassing moment over and over again. Have mercy on that precious person that was you in the past and mm. um, take care of yourself. Um, ask for help when you need it. Don't be afraid to tell somebody, hey, I had a bad thought and I need you to mm. come over. I need you to sit with me. Yeah. What would you say? Your major takeaway. Exactly what you said. You said it all perfect. I mean, literally, those are the same things I would say. And then maybe even just like put on the stupidest movie, you know, or like a weird like watch like Sharknado and just sit there and laugh (laughs) and just like rest in the humor. Yes. One of my favorites is Tommy Boy. Have you ever seen seen Tommy Boy? Uh It's got Chris Farley and David Spade. Oh, yeah. Probably. One of the best movies. Mm. Don't at me. Is that what the kids say? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Our oh, third party so is good. refusing It's the, the perfect movie to watch if you're in a bad mood. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining us. It has been so great to have you on My Day Off podcast. And we hope that you have some great conversations following this about how are you doing? And special thanks to Henry for letting us take over the podcast and talk about something that we're both passionate about and also inviting us into his beautiful home. If you or someone you know needs support, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. A free 24-7 service that can provide suicidal persons or those around them with support information and local resources. There you go. <laughs>